0: Preaching for us this morning is Chase Woodhouse. Chase is a relatively new church planting resident at Sojourn uh, for Sojourn Houston. Currently he and his family are located at Sojourn, Montrose, uh, and he is planting preparing to plant uh, Sojourn Southwest, which he'll talk about here in just a moment. Southwest. Yeah, that's right. Um, he'll talk about that in just a moment. We're so glad that you're here, Chase. So glad to have you preaching. The scripture, like I said for this morning, is Mark chapter 1. We're beginning a series through the book of Mark uh, this spring with Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Hear the word of the Lord from Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
1: Good morning, Sojourn Heights. Peace be with you. Man, it's cool to see y'all do that. I've been at Sojourn Montrose for a few months now, and each time I go to a sojourn and preach and be able to say peace be with you and also with you. It's just cool, we're one family. And it comes out when we say that. Um, So my name is Chase Woodhouse. Uh, I am a new church planting resident here at Sojourn Houston. Uh, I've been here at Sojourn Montrose specifically uh, since July. And so this is the first time I have had the pleasure to come here and preach the word of the Lord. Um, I'm originally from Waxahachie, Texas. Anybody know? That's in Dallas area. Um, So born and raised in Waukesha, Texas. And then about 10 years ago, uh, I moved to Houston and have ever since then been serving in various ministries here uh, in Houston. My wife and I, uh, Rachel, uh, have been married for eight years. uh, And we have lived in Southwest Houston um, all eight years. Uh, And so this is our community, this has become our home. And uh, we have two little girls, um, Selah, who is four, Uh, almost five, and Joy, who is two, and we're expecting a third in April, and this time we're having a boy. That's awesome. Um, And so we eventually want to plant a church in Southwest Houston. And when I say Southwest Houston, I think there's going to be a picture that comes up here. Yeah, there we go. You may not be able to tell. Um, Southwest Houston is just west of 610, following 610, all all the way down to Sam Houston Tollway, north of Sam Houston Tollway, and just south of 59. Uh, And so uh, we hope to, in the next two and a half years, plant Sojourn Southwest. And if there's two things, two words I can use to describe Southwest Houston, it is diverse and residential. I say residential because um, here in, in the Heights, you have a lot of awesome restaurants, coffee shops, you know, fun stuff. Uh, In Southwest Houston, there are some restaurants that are good, and there's one coffee shop. I don't count Starbucks, sorry. Um, But there's one coffee shop really in all of this massive area. And so what this area is, is it's very residential. It's neighborhoods upon neighborhoods upon neighborhoods, upon apartment complexes and apartment complexes. Over 300,000 people probably live in this little triangle. But it's also very diverse. Southwest Houston is economically diverse. You have uh, more wealthy families uh, in Bel Air, in Ireland, but then you have immigrants and refugees, some who have just come from countries like, like Afghanistan that live in Gulfton and Sharpstown, and then you have middle class. But then, like I said too, there are also different nationalities and different ethnicities. 69% of the people in Southwest Houston English is their second language. And so what Southwest Houston is, is it's an opportunity to plant a church that has an impact across the globe. We hope to plant a church here because there are people living in this community right now who have not heard the gospel. Some have never even heard the name of Jesus. And so we have the unique opportunity in Southwest Houston to, put, to plant a kingdom outpost where we as a family of God love one another deeply and we go out to proclaim the good news of God. Sojourn Heights has a rich history of planting churches that plant churches and it's an honor to be uh, considered as a potential new plant. But what I wanna ask Sojourn Heights to consider is I want you to consider selling your home and moving into my community and coming along with us. Ending your leases, uprooting your family and come with us to plant a church in this community for the glory of God. That's a big ask, and I understand that. But we have the unique opportunity to declare the goodness of Jesus to people that have not heard it, or to people that have heard it, but have not had a Christian neighbor. So I'm asking you all to consider that. We're also raising some more support. My family has been on support for seven years now, uh, but we are raising some more. And so I would like each of you to consider uh, financially partnering with us, and partnering with our future church plant. And then lastly, I'm gonna ask that you pray, that you join us in prayer, and praying that the Lord would establish this church in this community for his glory, and not mine, and not anyone else's. So with that, we're gonna dive into Mark. And I have the honor of opening up uh, the series of Mark this morning. And so what I thought I'd do just briefly is tell you just a little bit about Mark. So Mark was written by a man named John Mark. John Mark was not one of the 12 disciples and was not likely to be an eyewitness of Jesus' ministry. However, he was a known companion of Peter. And so when we read the Gospel of Mark, what we're reading is likely Peter's account of all that Jesus said and did. And what Peter went around preaching to the people. Mark was written about 55 A.D. to 65 A.D., somewhere in there. It is the first gospel written, but it is not the first New Testament book written. And I have to say, it, it seems like, you know, 25, 35 years after Jesus is a, 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 not a kind of a long time to write a gospel or, or a count of Jesus. But in that time period, it's very, very fast. The gospel of Mark and the time it was written is essentially breaking news for that time period. And Mark's gospel is very short and very to the point. And his point is very simple. What Mark is driving home throughout his book is here is Jesus, the Son of God, for you. He has come for you. And so this morning as we're diving into these eight verses, um, what you'll notice is there's no birth account. Right? Matthew and Luke start with a birth account, but John, sorry, Mark does not. I might get those names mixed up throughout this sermon. I'm just letting you know. Um, Mark does not start with a birth account. Instead, what he starts with is a very powerful point. That I think what we have to do in order to fully grasp how powerful this point is that he's trying to drive home is we have to take a step back and do a little bit of history and think and remember about what the people of God have been going through leading up to the time of John the Baptist. So I'm gonna give a very brief history of the people of God from about 435 BC to the time of John. 435 BC, Malachi, around that time. Malachi is the last prophet, and he comes proclaiming to the people to repent and that one day the Lord was going to come. This was his message. And then after that, there's silence from the Lord for 400 years. And to give you perspective, the United States is not even 300 years old. So this is a very long time where there is silence from the Lord. It does not mean the Lord was not moving, but it does mean that there was no prophet. And at this time, the people of God um, are controlled by the Persian empire. And about 300 years, 35 BC, somewhere in there, Alexander the Great comes and he conquers the Persian Empire and conquers the people of God. And what Alexander the Great does is very important. Alexander the Great Hellenizes the world. What that means is Alexander the Great was focused on bringing Greek culture, Greek language, and the the religions that they had a different temples and gods that they worshiped to all of the area that he conquered. And this happened to the people of God. What came from that is good, because from that Greek became the the equivalent to what English is today. Greek was the language that all of the people could speak. And so when you read Mark in its original language, it's going to be written in Greek which is good news because this message could be sent out to anywhere and the people would be able to read it and understand it. This was a blessing from the Lord. But for the people of God at that time, it was oppression. They were allowed to worship freely, but what would happen was different temples to Zeus and whatever else would start popping up throughout their city. And then eventually what happened is there was a different ruler that took, that took over after Alexander the Great died around 150 B.C. The a guy named Antiochus Epiphany. And essentially what you need to know about this guy is that he was really, really bad. Equivalent almost to Hitler. He was also trying to Hellenize the world, but he was going to do it by force. He made it a capital crime punishable by death to worship on the Sabbath. He made it a capital crime, punishable by death. When you had a son and you were to circumcise him on the eighth day according to the Jewish law, if you were to do that, you could be killed. Antiochus Epiphany oppressed the people of God. And then what he did was he drove out the priests from the temple of God, brought in priests to Zeus, erected a statue of Zeus in the temple, and sacrificed a pig on the altar of the Lord. This is what Daniel prophesied would happen and it's called the abomination of desolation. And essentially, if I'm gonna summarize it, it was horrific to the people of God. They were oppressed and they were persecuted. And then comes the Maccabean Revolution and essentially the Jewish people win their freedom and for a hundred years they're able to live freely. And then comes Rome. About 60-something B.C., Rome comes in with their brutality, their form of death, crucifixion, and they brutally oppress the people of God once again. And I share all of this because for 400 years, the people of God have been oppressed, are discouraged, are broken, and yet they are hoping that one day a Messiah would come. A Messiah to make all things right would come. And so what Mark writes is to these people in this setting where everything is essentially bad, in comes this really weird dude dressed in camel's hair, eating locusts and honey. And for you and I, we may look at John and think, okay, this guy's been in the sun a little bit too long. Kind of been wandering in the desert for a little too, you know, he's just kind of lost it. And it's very strange that to these people, the sign that comes is a man dressed in camel's hair. But what Mark writes here is very intentional because what John was was the glimmer of hope. Something new was coming to the people that had been oppressed something greater than they had ever seen before was coming. In the first point, John wearing the camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist is not coincidental. It's not that that's all that John had in the wilderness and so he, he chose to wear it. Mark says here in verses 2 and 3, he combines two prophecy, one, prophecies, one one from Malachi and one from Isaiah to show that the messenger of God was going to come to prepare the way of the Lord. But what Mark doesn't include, that is another prophecy for this messenger, is that in Malachi chapter four, it talks about how Elijah would come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And what we know about Elijah is very key in showing that John is claiming not to be literally Elijah, but to come in the spirit of Elijah to be the messenger. In 2 Kings 1.8, It says that Elijah wore a garment of hair and had a leather belt around his waist. John is not wearing this because it's comfortable or stylish. He's wearing it because he is declaring to the people that he is Elijah who was to come. That something new is about to dawn and his clothes share that with these people who have been oppressed. But not only that, John, doesn't go into Judea and into Jerusalem to preach. What he does is he calls the people out to the Jordan River and to the wilderness. And this is important as well, because this location is, has been throughout the people of God's history, a place of new beginnings. After the Exodus, After they are set free from slavery, the people of God wander the wilderness for 40 years because they chose to disobey the Lord. And when they arrive at the Jordan River, they cross over into the promised land. They arrived and they crossed into something new that God was doing. God was establishing a place for his people to worship him. So when they crossed that Jordan River, it was a new beginning. And then the people of God continued to disobey the Lord over and over. And for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, they consistently disobeyed the Lord. And so the Lord sent them into exile, which is what he promised to do if they continued to disobey him. And then the Lord, in his grace and mercy, quickly brought them back. And once again, when the people of God come back into the promised land, they're crossing over the Jordan River and something new is starting once again. So when John is bringing the people out to the Jordan River and baptizing them in the Jordan River, he is letting them know something new is coming. Once again, we're going to have a new beginning. So the location is vital and the dress is vital, but his message is is of most importance for us. His message was one of repentance. As I talked about earlier, there was Hellenization that was happening throughout basically 300 years, where with Alexander the Great, there were temples of Zeus and all these other funky gods put into the promised land, and slowly over time, the people of God stopped worshiping the Lord only and started adopting other gods. And then in comes Rome, and the same thing happens. And so what John is doing is he is preparing their hearts by just like the Old Testament prophets, preaching a message of repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He was calling the people back to the worship of the Lord and the Lord only. Preparing their hearts for something new, the great and terrible day of the Lord. And what was all of this? What was the point of all of this happening? What is the great hope offered to the people of God that have been oppressed for so long, that are exhausted, that are longing for a Messiah and a king and freedom? What is the hope offered? It is a man. Verse one, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I think most of us in here will know that the word gospel means good news. What is the hope? What is the good news offered to these people that have been oppressed for so long? It is a man. But he is not just a man. He is the Son of God. God. Why was this such good news? Why is Mark driving this home by writing all of this for us? Jesus is the fulfillment of the first promise given to Adam and Eve after Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree, sinned against God, and God promised that one day there would be a man born of a woman, and this man would crush The head of the serpent. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham that through Abraham and his seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. This man, Jesus, is the fulfillment of the prophecy given to David that through him, one of his sons would have a kingdom that would be everlasting, that would be a perfect kingdom filled with justice and righteousness that would never be conquered. This Jesus is the fulfillment, the crescendo of all the Old Testament. And he has now arrived. What good news for these people that have long been oppressed? And what good news for us this morning? Because although we are not oppressed in the sense of we have the ability to worship freely, I don't know about you, but I'm tired. Past couple years have been difficult. There's been a pandemic, political strife, on and on and on I could go, let alone whatever's going on in your personal lives. And I know for me, this past month has been difficult. For me, it's been laden with anxiety, with pain and struggle. And so what hope is offered to us this morning It is Jesus, and why is Jesus such good news for us in here who are tired and exhausted? He is good news because in him, we find the forgiveness from our sins. The problem with you and I is that we are broken that no matter how hard we try, we cannot help but sin. No matter how hard we try, we cannot help but be anxious. No matter how hard we try, we cannot live up to God's holy and perfect standard. And the good news for us is that Jesus came to die on the cross, and in that moment on the cross, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, On our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. The good news for us this morning is that God sees and God cares. And the one thing he's come to do, the most powerful enemy that we could not overcome, our sin, he has come to deliver us from. And he has come to die to do it. God did not create the world and just say, ah, good luck. God did not see us sin and say, you know what? Too bad, figure it out. God in his love and his mercy has come to redeem us, to set us free from the sin that so deeply entangles us. And on the cross, Jesus purchased our freedom. But not only does he die, he rises from the dead, and he ascends on high and sits at the right hand of the Father, And as he is seated right now, he is ruling. His kingdom has started. We're not there yet. We're not in the promised land yet. We haven't fully crossed over the Jordan into the promised land where there is no more pain and no more suffering. But friends, it is coming. One day, we will cross that Jordan and we will be with him forever because he is risen. We will rise from the dead too. Amen? We have a king who has purchased our freedom and death is no longer an enemy. It is a friend that we can welcome because when we die, we get to be with him. Jesus is good news because he is ruling right now and he will deliver us into the promised land, but he has not abandoned us. He has not left us here as orphans. Like John says, one will come that will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And when he baptizes with the Holy Spirit, what that means is we will have a comforter until the day where we see Jesus face to face. We will no longer have to struggle on our own to try to overcome our sin. The Holy Spirit in Ezekiel 36 will help us obey the Lord, but not only that, he will bring great comfort he will remind us of the truth of Jesus he will remind us of all that Jesus has said so that when the day comes and it will come when you are discouraged and you are tired and you want nothing more than to just be with Jesus but you're not there yet the Holy Spirit can come and bring great comfort and peace he has not abandoned us why is this good news that Jesus has come because Jesus is ushering in the messianic age He is ushering in this age where he is setting people free from their sins. He is delivering us out of the dominion of darkness and transferring us into his kingdom of light. We become a new creation. The old has gone. And behold, the new has come and is coming. This is the good news. And this is what Mark is driving home in these short, kind of weird verses. He's driving home that, behold, the King has come. And so, what are we to do with this, with this great truth? Some of you in here have not accepted Jesus as your Savior. Some of you in here. Maybe you have hoped in your ability to obey the Lord, and you hope that by coming to church and doing the actions and going to parish and doing some prayers and trying to read the Bible through the year again, you probably started yesterday, you want to continue on today, and then eventually you're going to stop because you're like me and we're just broken. Maybe you hoped that that would be enough. The good news is that you are terrible. You are way worse than you think you are. But God loves you. And he has come to rescue you. The good news is not that you're good. The good news is that even in your absolute terribleness, he has come to redeem you. And so for some of you in here, you need to let go of this idea that you can save yourself. You need to let go of this idea that you're doing okay compared to other people quit comparing yourself to other people and compare yourself to the lord because it is by his standard that we get into heaven and let me tell you you fail i kindly and gently want to tell you you fail because when i tell you that i can also tell you that jesus has come for you and so for some of you today you need to repent and believe in jesus as your savior and he will welcome you with open arms One of my favorite pastors loves to welcome his congregation and say, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who are sinners and need a Savior, this church opens wide her doors with a welcome from Jesus, the mighty friend of sinners. For you today, if you are a sinner and you now see your need for a Savior, he's ready to welcome you home. But for those of us in here who are believers in Jesus, What are we to do? I think we are to mimic John. John, who knows the beauty and majesty of Jesus, says, I am not worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. For those of us in here who are believers, let us gaze upon the beauty of Jesus until our hearts sing with joy. That's the struggle that I've had recently. I have not allowed myself the time to sit and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord until my heart sings. If you're tired, if you're oppressed, if you're struggling, sit and meditate on the beauty that Jesus loves you. He loves you and cares for you. And when you are done gazing upon his beauty, when your heart sings for joy, then we go out. Then we go out and we proclaim, like John, the good news that Jesus has come. It's gonna be awkward. There are gonna be awkward conversations. But the people need to hear that their Savior has come. They need to see that Jesus is real and they see it by you inviting them into your home and eating with them and sharing with them that Jesus loves you. Or with COVID, you have a barbecue outside when it's not freezing, okay? But our responsibility is to go out and to proclaim this good news. Because it's too good. We can't keep it in. Sojourn Heights, may we be a people that goes out and declares the goodness of God until all of the heights are able to at least say that they have heard the message of Jesus. It is not up to us to convert them, to help them to see that Jesus is who he says he is. It is our job to proclaim. It will be awkward. It will be painful. It will be hard. But I'd rather it be hard and awkward and painful for me then my friends not be able to hear that Jesus can save them from the reality of hell that is coming. Sojourn Heights, as we come to the table this morning and we declare the good news that Jesus has come, he's died, he's risen from the dead, and he's ascended on high, when we come to the table, let us remember how great of a love he has for us and let us then choose to go and proclaim this good news just like John. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your goodness and mercy that it follows us all the days of our life. Father, we thank you that you have not abandoned us to our sins. You have not abandoned us to our anxiety. You have not abandoned us to our fear. You have not abandoned us to our struggles. You have come and you have saved us. Father, I pray this morning that anyone in here who is not seeing the truth that Jesus can be their Savior. Father, I pray that you would open their eyes and open their hearts to this reality and may they choose to believe in Jesus. And Father, I pray for us in here who are believers. Father, help us to worship you and to love you more. And Father, I pray that this love that you have given us would cause us to go out and to proclaim your good news that Jesus has come.